we come before you right now. And we bow before you. You from, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of, of your glory, that you would grant us strength with power through your spirit in, in your inner being that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. That we being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with, with, with one another, with the saints, what is the breadth, the, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God today. Now to him who is, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Amen. Uh, you may be seated. I've got to. I've got to ask though. Bring that over here. I've got to ask though. As as I wrestled with this, I thought genuinely, who who really prays like that anymore, right? Who who goes into prayer like that? If, if you have a, a Bible with you, you'll notice that this little subsection is called the prayer for spiritual strength. I think we could all use a little bit of strength today. So if you are uh, familiar or you're looking at your Bible right now, you know, um, I just prayed these words from the Apostle Paul from Ephesians 3, 14, all the way through 21. I'm not normally that poetic, and I'm sure, I'm sure some of you are thinking, this is poetic, you know? But I wanted to, to pray that prayer because this is a prayer that Paul prayed for this little church in Ephesus. And I didn't want to rework the prayer. I didn't want to change it up. I was really wrestling with it, and I just felt the Lord call me, call us to simply kneel and to pray these words together, to pray scripture together. We'll be moving into chapter four in, in just a little bit, but I want this prayer to challenge us because uh, y'all, this, this prayer was really challenging to me today because I don't come across folks who pray like this necessarily. You know, like we will pray for one another, but it's usually like, oh God, I pray you would help my brother get a job. You know, we keep it pretty simple, pretty straightforward. God, I pray you would help my husband overcome his struggles with pornography. God, would you please help me get a good parking space today at school? <laughs> right? 
not to oversimplify your prayer life or, or offend you, because if you're praying all the time, that's great. Pray unceasingly, as it says in, in the New Testament. Uh, but maybe for those who approach prayer in a more awkward or sheepish sort of way, like I do sometimes, like sometimes I will pray to God, but I'll kind of like kind of walk around it a little bit. Like, I'm sure you're busy, man. I think of Haiti. Um, you know, God, I, I, I know you got a lot going on over in Kabul right now and, and, and down in Africa and up in Detroit and just all over. Like you got a lot going on. I don't want to burden you. This is how sometimes I'll approach God in all honesty. Do you ever do that? Like sometimes you just do something that is, is, is kind of silly, that, that maybe you believe one thing, but you feel another. Or am I the only one? Do you believe something, but sometimes it doesn't line up with how you're, you're feeling? Because if that happens to you, it can alter your prayer life a lot. And, and, and sometimes we can just kind of pray our way around things. But that's a far cry from what we just read in, in, in verse 17. That's a far cry from, from praying that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that, that being rooted and grounded in love, that you would have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, to know that the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. This is how I want to pray. That is what I was wrestling with this week. I thought to myself, how far have I removed myself and my prayers from these those are the types of prayers that I want our church to pray, to pray with expectation, to pray with excitement. When was the last time you prayed with earnest excitement and zeal to pray like God is in the room, to pray big prayers? I want to pray loud prayers, like, like God is deaf or something. Like, like I just want to pray loud and boldly and come before him. I just want to live out a louder faith, if I could put it that way. Like, you know what I mean? To live out a louder faith. That when you walk into the room, people can just see your faith. People can feel the Holy Spirit coming off of you. Yes, let's pray for your brother to get that job, but let's go beyond that. Let's pray that your brother would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that he may be rooted in love, that he would have the strength to face rejection and see that God is still working on his behalf, that he would experience the love of God more. Do you hear the difference in that than just, God, pray for my brother. Really hope he gets a construction job. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's like we kind of wash our hands and walk away and said, I, I checked it off the list. And so I, I'm... I'm just caught in this tension. Can you tell? I'm caught in this tension where, where I can get in the habit of just praying these passive sort of prayers. It's no wonder that sometimes when we face a difficult situation, that our response will be, at this point, all I can do is pray. Like, do you hear the problems in that statement? Like, see, when we don't fully understand the prayer is a weapon, we don't rely on it. And so when we say things like, all I can do now is pray, that means it's your last hope, not your first hope. It means it's the emergency tire in the back. It's not your steering wheel. And so I love these words that Paul uses. He says, 
He writes uh, that, that we would uh, uh, know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. What? It goes beyond knowledge. Some of my more Reformed friends, I'm sure, read that and think, that doesn't sound very biblical, Paul. But, but think about it. Love that goes beyond knowledge. Knowledge is not bad. I don't think that's what Paul's saying. If you want to know more of the Greek, the Hebrew, the Aramaic, I think it's great. But it's as if this idea that if we maybe treat one another or maybe we treat our children like, like the church is our greenhouse and, and by watering the plants in our greenhouse, it's just information. And it's more information and information into one another, into our children. That information is simply enough. Knowledge is simply enough. That, that somehow that's how we make disciples. Just more information, 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 information. And I think this is partly, I don't, I don't have all the solutions to all the problems, but I think partly this is why we see a staggering drop in faith from students to young adults. We see, we, we see students become young adults, and it's because maybe they were, they were raised in a greenhouse church, but once they're free to go and do, they don't darken the door of a church again. And I think maybe it's because we've given them all the information. But notice when Paul writes, before he talks about that, he talks about being rooted. He talks about being grounded in what? What is it, church? In what? Love. You can give people information all day long. But if it's not rooted and grounded in love, the information, the theology, the, the podcast, the YouTube pastor, whatever you send their way, won't take root. And that's scary as a dad because I look at my kids and I think if I give them enough information, surely this will stick. That's not true. Because head knowledge does not equate to heart knowledge. You can know so much about God up here and know nothing of God in here. It is because we are to be grounded and rooted in love. Listen, don't email me about this because I'm not saying theology is bad, okay? I'm not saying don't share theology with your kids or don't do deep dive studies. I, I think that's great. But what I am saying is that I think too often we as the church, me as, as, a, as, a, as a pastor, we can treat discipleship in church and Jesus all about knowing. All about knowing. And, and, and neglect experiencing God for yourself, growing your soul for yourself. I think Paul, in his prayer, he's, he's pleading with this church in Ephesus, but also for, for us today, that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And that means that we experience the love of Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. Through the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, now, I got another little thing in what Paul says in here. Let's see. Verse 19 Go to the second part of that verse. Paul also writes, <laughs> he also writes that you would be filled with the fullness of God. 
filled with the fullness of God. Let that sink in for a second. What on earth does that actually mean? Filled with the fullness of God. I, I, I want to make this statement. I want you to, to write it down, and then we're going to unpack it. But I, I've come to believe that the fullness of God will cost you. This will cost you, okay? Uh, time away from what you would rather do. It, it will cost you. Time away from situations you're more comfortable in. It will cost you. Time away from your preferences. The fullness of God will cost you. I don't fully grasp, and, and I'll just be completely honest, I, I don't fully grasp what Paul is really getting at to, ex, to, to experience, to be filled with the fullness of God. But what I do know is that to follow God, to follow Christ, to live this thing out, I do know it will cost you. I think to be filled with the fullness of God will cost you. And it seems plenty of us will settle for a convenient faith that, that, can keep, that can keep Sunday mornings to be the ultimate way that we get to God. And it doesn't really cost us much, right? It doesn't really cost us much to, to be here. I guess I could put it this way. Uh, we, we Christians will say that we want the fullness of God until it will cost us something. And as gently and yet directly as, as I can, um, as, as, as we organize, you know, our church and, and we talk about, hey, we, wanna, we want people to grow with God. We want you to, you know, be discipled, obviously. Um, and, and so we set up, you know, small groups uh, and, 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 you know, invite people to be a part of that. As, as gently yet directly as I can, you should be in a small group. You, you should simply be in a small group. Yeah, it will cost you an evening of your busy week. That's part of it, is that we prioritize growing in community with one another, but more importantly, growing with God. Now, I, as, as I say that, you know, I, I know we've had even a small group fill up. We have one on Sunday still, Wednesday, Friday kind of thing. Uh, and, and maybe for you, none of those work with your work schedule. Okay, I get it. Will you, you let us know? Will you let the church know what your life looks like? Because we would love to still build that bridge for you so you have an avenue to small group. I just know being here right now doesn't cost you anything, but the church gathering, I don't know, in Kabul, it's costing them everything to gather this morning. But you know, I'm busy. I'm, I'm busy. I'll catch it online. I'm busy. I can't really, I'll miss three weeks of, of small group study. I can't really do it. Listen, my fear, my fear is this. My fear is that we will settle for a comfortable faith rather than a full faith. Notice Paul, he didn't say, I pray that you would grow so much that your faith is just comfortable. But he says that you'd be filled with the fullness of God. I'm, I promise, I'm not trying to beat anyone up who can't jump into a small group this fall at all. But, but I just want you to ask a reflective question. Okay, that's it, that's it. What is keeping me from investing in my community? Am I busy, right? What's keeping me from investing in my community? What's, it, what's keeping me from, from growing with God in this way, okay? Uh, here over in the West, listen, we love a comfortable faith, but this, this prayer really rubs up 
against this. I, I think we've grown comfortable fitting God into our life. God, I love you on Sunday morning. I got three hours for you, man. Work what you're gonna do. But you know, I got a nine to five, Monday through Friday. I ain't got time for these God moments. <laughs> I ain't got time for these things. I got kids to put to bed. I got, I got, I, got, uh, I, don't, I don't know, I gotta go to Taekwondo. I got, I got soccer practice. I got all these things. I got meetings. Like, like, listen, I get it, I get it, I get it. I get it. I guess it's just that I can't pray for you to experience the fullness of God when we're giving God the leftovers. When, when we're asking God, God, I need you to fit to my schedule and we're not forming our lives around him. You see the difference, right? And, and this is a unique problem to us, I think, uh, here in the first world, is that we want God to move and work on our schedule. And, and I think it's dangerous because we lose the desperation that we need to be with God. And, and, and at times we will give him the leftovers. Uh, imagine, imagine, I invite you over to Thanksgiving this year. Uh, imagine with me for a moment. Hey, hey, why don't you come to Thanksgiving? It would be great to have you. And you're excited. You move your life around so you can come be at Pastor Kevin's Thanksgiving. And then the week of, I say to you, well, you know, it's a little inconvenient for you to come over. So how about you come over 90 minutes after we eat and you can have what's left? How's that sound? I think, as the laughter tells me, you think that's insane. Hey, you wanna come to Thanksgiving, anyone? No, you think that's insane. And yet, often, that's how I will do this, and I know you will do it. This is how we approach faith sometimes, right? It's just the leftovers, it's just a little bit left. We, we, will, we will say, God, I wanna grow with you. Okay, it's gonna cost you. It's gonna cost you, church. It's gonna cost your time. It's going to cost you your comfort. It's going to cost you sometimes a night of the week. It will cost you some money. It's going to cost your popularity sometimes. Do you still want to grow? And I think often our response is silence. Ah, I don't know about that. Church, I desperately want you, like Paul wants this church in Ephesus, I want you to be filled with the fullness of God but the danger I see, I see a desire for comfort beginning to overshadow our need for God. Are we, are we earnestly praying for one another to be filled with the fullness of God, but never challenge one another? To never challenge one another. I don't want to lead a church that's not challenging us all the time, myself included, that isn't challenging us. And so church, can you tell, I'm pleading with you today. I'm pleading with you to, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, to be filled with the fullness of God. But church, it will cost you to do that. So will you put in that work? Will you sacrifice for this? Uh, early in the ministry of Jesus, he called his disciples, if you're familiar with the Bible, he calls his disciples, and, and essentially he calls them to come and see. It's a call to come and see. And I think for people who are with us today, you're not a believer, or maybe you're a new Christian, or, or a lot of this is new to you. Maybe you're in this phase of come and see. Come and see. Come and see the work of God. Come and see what God 
wants to do in the lives of his people. Come and see. But church, at some point, that call to come and see becomes now go and die. Go and die. Die to yourself. Go die for the sake of others. Go and die a literal death for this faith. I I see a church that's grown so comfortable that we love the idea of come and see. I sit in the back. I'm never involved because I don't need to be. I just want to come and see. But that is not what you're called to. If you are growing with Christ, the call goes from come and see to go and die. Go and die. The fullness of God will cost you. Drop your comfort. I want you to embrace the fullness of God. I'm not saying it only happens through small groups or, or certain things like that, but, but drop whatever comfort you are holding on to and embrace the fullness of God. I just, my genuine prayer for us today is, is just to quote the scripture again that, that, that Christ would sincerely dwell in your hearts and that you being rooted and grounded in love that you would have strength to comprehend the extent and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that you would be filled to the fullness of God. That's what I earnestly want for you today. That is why I wrestled so much with this this week. I was like, this isn't going to be a normal thing, and I think it's a good thing because we get set in our ways really quick, right? We like our comfort. But I think the call to go and die shatters that comfort. So I told you we're going to get into chapter four. This, this very much, this, this weird sermon today is, is very much split down the middle. Part one, really uh, contingent on prayer. And so when you leave here today and you talk about the sermon with your spouse or your friends, because you want to continue to grow, you know, and, and it's not just like, oh, I didn't like what pastor was wearing today. We're actually talking about the content, Okay. I took my jacket off, okay? Someone mentioned it, it's fine. And so, when we're talking later, when we're talking later about the sermon, hey, part one was about prayer. Read it again. Read it with your spouse. Read it with your friends, okay? Part one is all about prayer, okay? Those are gonna be your words to your friends, to your spouse. But part two, part two is different because now we're getting over to chapter four. Mike, go ahead and throw chapter four up there. Uh, chapter four, because chapters one through three, okay, uh, for, for those who care, chapters one, two, and three, they really focus on the theological, on your position in, in Christ. And it concludes with this pleading prayer from the apostle Paul. But now we're jumping into the second half of Ephesians and things begin to change. Chapters four, five, six, really predicate themselves upon the outworking, the outward, the flow of of what we just read, maybe the practice of what we've just been reading here. So go with me to Ephesians 4, picking up in verse 1. We're going to get through the first 16 verses of chapter 4 today, and we'll pick up next week. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord. Notice the callback. He's saying, this will cost you. We just talked about this, right? He says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord, in case you forgot. And I urge you to walk. See, it's already focused on the outward. 
you're already focused on the outward. I, I challenge you to walk, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. One of the biggest questions I get from especially young people is, what am I called to do? What is God's will for my life? I got it for you. Here's, here's your big magical answer you've been waiting for, okay? To live like Christ. That is, what, that is your calling, to live like Christ. Christ. Practically love God, love people. As it says in Galatians 5, be imitators of God, walking in love. Your life has purpose. Your life has direction. Notice Paul, knowing this, says, I want you to walk this thing out. It's not about just coming to church and listening and singing and believing the right things. Let's walk this thing out now. Okay? Now, so if that is the answer, what's my calling? Okay, what's my calling? If that's the answer, you ready for the how? Here's the how, ready? Verse two, with all humility. Dang it, Paul. Oh man, you're making this hard now. With all humility and gentleness. Who has time for that? With patience, okay, I guess. Bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I think these are markers of a gospel-centered church and a Spirit-filled believer. I'm not saying that you nail it and you're perfect or you've got your whole life together. I'm not saying that. I'm saying our aim is consistency, okay? And I think there's something to be said about consistency. Are you someone who works on yourself, works on your growth with God? Are you someone known for being consistent in your humility? Are you known for being consistent in your gentleness, in your patience, in your ability to bear with one another. I would say bear would be also to struggle with one another. Are you known for your patience and ability to struggle with one another? By God's grace, I will continue to accept this call to press in with humility and gentleness, with patience, as I bear with one another in love to remain eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. But notice, that's not just for pastors. If you follow Christ, I hope you accept that call as well, that, that, that you would walk in a manner worthy of this calling to live like Christ with humility and gentleness, patience, and that you would bear with one another and that we would be united in unity by the spirit that bonds us together in unity. My prayer is that I would respond humbly and gently and patiently with one another. But Paul continues, verse seven, he says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so what in the world does that mean? Well, he just talked about unity, okay? He just talked about unity, one body, one spirit, um, one faith, one baptism, one God, right? He's talking about unity. But in verse seven, this changes. Watch the change, okay? Because there's a, there's a transitional word, but, okay? But grace. But in the unity, there is diversity, okay? It says to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure 
of Christ's gift, okay? Jesus, he died for you, right? For God so loved the world, right? So Christ died for all people. That is an equal opportunity for all people, okay? So what is this, <laughs> what does this mean about a measurement? Uh, did he only kind of save some people and really save other people? No, no, no. It means this, it means this, that we all have giftings, okay? Paul's beginning to transition over to your giftings in the local church. It goes beyond pastors and elders. It goes to the whole church. And there are certain measurements of gifting that Christ gave to you. Who did, who did it come from? Christ. And he gave different measures to different people. I heard a, pre, uh, a preacher say that there is no such thing as a believer who's not gifted for ministry. And I believe that. As I look around our church, I see people who serve faithfully, who, who are diligent in what they do for our church, because I know you don't do it for the church. You do it, obviously, for God. But I look around and I love to see that our church is a church that serves and works and does this to the glory of God. And so all of this, though, it reminds me of snowflakes. Um, we need to take back that term. It shouldn't be uh, put down to be called a snowflake anymore. Um, I, I want you to be spiritual snowflakes. Put that on Instagram. I want you to be spiritual <laughs> snowflakes. I do, though. Spiritual snowflakes in the sense that every snowflake is unique. And that illustration is better than a spiritual fingerprint, okay? A spiritual snowflake. Because everyone is different. Every snowflake is different and unique. You are here today. Maybe you are really great at serving at, uh, at the front door on our welcome team. And someone else next to you is as well. Your giftings are so different. You're not just a carbon copy of one another. And I love that. I love the diversity of gifting that Christ gave to the church. And so I look around at the unity we have, right, with one Lord, one faith, one baptism. But I look around our church, and I think what we've done in not even a year, and, and how beautiful it is to see that giftedness at work. Uh, I got to move on. I'm running out of time. Paul, Paul goes on. Can you tell? Paul goes on and he quotes Psalm 68, 18. Paul in verse eight says, therefore it says, when he, that's Jesus, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men, okay? More gift talk. Uh, now, verse nine uh, and 10 is like the sidebar Paul has with us, okay? Paul writes, in saying he ascended, what does it mean? but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. That simply means that every Jesus follower, regardless of talent or skill, Jew or Gentile, male or female, is saved by the same faith in the same God. Each Christian, therefore, is part of a single universal family of believers in Christ. And at, the, and at the same time, God gives different gifts to different people so that they can serve the many roles needed to accomplish his purposes here on earth. Now watch this in verse 11. Verse 11, Paul says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, he's saying, God gave these gifts to these leaders, but now look at this, verse 12. He gave all of these leaders, these saints, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Hey, saints, I'm looking at you. You don't gotta be in New Orleans. I got, I'm looking at you. You're the saints, okay? Yes, you. 
What does that mean, though? You're the body of Christ. You. Not just the folks who come up here with a microphone. That the body of Christ are the people I'm looking at right now, the people watching online. You're the body of Christ. And that the church is built with your work, too. Not just the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, but come on, it's all of us serving in the local church. And I think it's just a beautiful thing because the church can help really, uh, can really help you find those gifts, shape what that's going to look like and grow in those gifts. Uh, Go on, verse 13, it says, uh, Paul writes, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. I'll come back to that. To the measure, to the, yes, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Here's what that is. We gotta work, we do. We gotta work to attain unity together, okay? We gotta work for that and mature. He's saying, grow up. I don't recall who said this, but I heard it a long time ago. I've never forgot it. Uh, Some preacher said, there's nothing funny about an adult playing in a kiddie pool. Why does the church just allow people to come and watch, to come and see and never challenge them? Meaning, let's grow up. We need to mature. Let's accept accountability into our lives. Why? Verse 14. This is why it applies to you, okay? So that we may no longer be like children tossed around by waves and easily deceived. Deceived by false doctrine, human cunning, craftiness. Listen, church, to grow in faith is to grow with one another. And I think this is a unique place for Christians in human history because because we can become an isolated and what I would call an internet Christian today because anyone can justify anything that you want justified when you look online, when you want to grow by yourself, but it's not really growing. Well, I don't know how, to, how I feel about that anymore. So let me go read these various blogs. I don't know how I feel about this. I mean, you, you hear that language. You feel, okay. You, I don't know how I feel about this anymore. Remember, remember, just because someone is, is quoting scripture, it doesn't mean that they're quoting it accurately. I think of Satan and his questions in the Garden of Eden in the, in the deceptions that came Adam and Eve's way, because it seemed real, it seemed reasonable to our first parents. I think of, I think of when Satan quoted scripture to Jesus out in the desert. It seemed, it sounded good. You know, devil, you made a good point, but Jesus knew his Bible. <laughs> But Jesus took him to task on the word and he brought it back to the word. Church, my encouragement to you is be like the church. There are so many deceptions out there. And so if you wanna grow in isolation, you're not growing in Christ. Christ died for the church, we grow together. But I think the church should still be a safe place for you to come and ask those hard questions. 
I think the church, the, the pastors should be approachable enough that you're like, listen, I'm struggling to, to reconcile this thing. Could we talk about it? Could, could we like really have a, an honest kind of back and forth about this? Because the world's going to keep changing, okay? It's going to keep evolving. Um, and the Bible is sure. The Bible is firm. The Bible is, is unchanging. And so how can we, as Christians, be loving and speak this truth in grace in a world that needs Christ? I, church, I want you to wrestle with these things. You should wrestle with these things. Um, but don't, don't, don't. Don't feel like you got to do it by yourself. Don't feel like you should lone wolf this thing because that's not a biblical approach to this at all. Don't do this alone. We're made for unity. Uh, verse 15, gotta, gotta move. Uh, Paul writes, rather, pay attention to this, pay attention to this. Rather, speaking the truth in love, I love that. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from who the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so we say this a, a lot around here. But truth plus grace equals love. Truth plus grace equals love. Uh, band, I want to I wanna invite you all up here, uh, but I'm going to, let's do the spur of the moment thing. Uh, Brian, I need you up here. Um, and could Megan or Marshall... Could you carry little Rosie up here? Because I don't think she let Brian hold her, so that's okay. Uh, Brian, you join me right up here, and then uh, just uh, one of little Rosie's parents, uh, and, and we'll see. Listen, we're, we're talking truth. We're talking grace. You can stand right here. We're talking truth, and we're talking grace, and how they equal love. Um, Brian is, is a, a, a big, strong guy, okay? And he skydives all the time. He's crazy, too. But in this case, in this case, Brian represents truth, okay? He represents truth. And over here we have little Rosie. Hi, Rosie. Good to see you. Um, we have little Rosie who represents <laughs> grace, okay? So over here we have truth. And if this is maybe all you've encountered with God, well, it looks good. It is just one facet of love, right? And you would begin to think that maybe God is just going to bully you, okay? Because this is big and strong. The truth is truth, whether we want to accept it or not, okay? So, so, so Brian represents the truth. And then over here we have little Rosie, who is just gentle, and she's gracious, and she's adorable. <laughs> and so when, I'm going to have you two actually come closer together. You two just right meet in the middle. So we have truth, and we have grace, if you've only ever experienced the, the grace side of love, you would think that God's a pushover. You would think that he's a doormat, right? But that's not who God is. I'm standing up here because I can do that. And I stand on the rock firm. This is the rock of Jesus, you know? But we have truth. It is bold. And it's strong. But it is complemented by the gentleness by the graciousness of God. And together, truth and grace create love. If you've only ever experienced the truth of God, can we introduce you to the grace of God? 
if you've only ever experienced the, the grace side of love, could we introduce you that, that there is truth that God stands for and represents, and that together, working together, truth and grace give us a beautiful thing, and it's called the love of God. Yeah. It is a love that is tender, and it is a love that is tough, but at all points, that love is of God, yeah. and it is for you today. And so, hey, thank you all so much. Thank you, Rosie. Thank you, Brian. Uh, and so as, as we pray today, as we consider these words of Paul today, as, as maybe we, we wrestle with what it's like for God to love me, as we wrestle maybe with difficult doctrines of the Bible, maybe we wrestle with forgiving really everyone, as, as, as we wrestle with these different aspects of, of God, we come back to his love. That it is, it is true, and we can, we can read about that truth. We can know that truth. But y'all, that love of Christ surpasses knowledge. Because I don't think you can calculate grace. I think it is felt. I think it is received. And so, as gentle as a sheep, God is gracious. And as bold as a lion... He is truthful, but together it is love. It is the love of God that continues to move us forward. And so uh, if you don't know the love of God today, could we pray for you? Could, could you experience this, this, this very much reconciling love of God today? If you're a Christian today and, and you're just kind of like, I don't know about things anymore. I, I, I get tossed by the waves to and fro so easily. Could we encourage you today? Could we pray for you today? I want to I wanna pray for us right now as we go into this this last song. Will you stand, kneel, sit, whatever you want to do, uh, but we're going to worship. I want to pray for us right now. Uh, Heavenly Father, God, I, I plead with you that I would certainly believe this, that I would know this, this, this love surpassing all knowledge, moving us forward, drawing us closer to you and your purposes. God, I pray we would resist comfort. For those of us who are believers, I pray we would resist comfort and embrace the fullness of you. Your fullness. God, I pray that as we wrestle with living this thing out, that we would walk in a manner worthy of this calling, representing your truth that is grounded and rooted in love forgiving all of all as you forgave us. That we would love people who the world says are unlovable. That you would soften our hearts toward our enemies. That we would experience real reconciliation. Lord, as, as we sing and worship you again, I pray for people that we would move, we would come forward, we would, we would just say, I don't have it all together, I need prayer, I need encouragement, I, I need Jesus. But Lord, I, I just pray that we would come forward, we would move, we would, we would take a step forward toward you today. In Christ's name we pray, amen.